It's uh, really good to be with you all. My name's Andres. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you and to share from God's Word with all of you. Uh, this morning, we'll be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, uh, verses 14 and 29. We've been going through a series, a little over a year now, going through this Gospel, and so we're kind of uh, way into the second half of this story, this narrative, uh, with Jesus at the center of the plot, what he's doing. And so if you have a Bible or an app, you can follow along. If not, we'll have the uh, scripture behind me on the screen. So hear God's word to you this morning. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and on. And when they, this is Jesus, Paul, uh, Jesus, Peter, uh, James, and John, came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And he said, often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are living in dark times with many people having big questions and little answers. Would you empower us as your followers, as your disciples, by your spirit to have bold and courage to take risks that we may indeed be the salt of the earth, shining line, the light, of the gospel into darkness. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let me uh, remind you where we are in uh, this story. Uh, Mark, who is the uh, the writer of this gospel, 
is weaving this narrative, telling the story of Jesus as the one sent from God to inaugurate his kingdom on earth. But he doesn't do it alone. He calls people to participate with him, to cooperate with him on his mission of healing what is broken. He had specifically called 12 men uh, as his disciples to be his apprentices, to follow him everywhere he goes. And as they go, uh, they interact with Jesus, asking him questions, seeing how he does certain things. Uh, They watch him heal the blind and preach good news, uh, give hope to the outcasts. And then he gives them authority to do what he does. So that by the time we get to this story, for about a year now, the disciples had been healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who have leprosy, and driving out demons. That's what Jesus had told them to do, if you remember, in Matthew 10. He had empowered them, given them license and permission to take risks and to experiment. So then, after going throughout all that region to all towns and villages, they come back to Jesus and they give him a report. Now, when Jesus had sent the 70, when they came back, they did so with much joy. So we can imagine the same reaction from the 12. Everything seems to be going their way. They were seeing healings and exorcisms and baptisms. What could possibly go wrong? Well, as we'll soon learn quite a bit, they encounter a unique situation that requires a different set of skills. And that's what we'll look at today. We'll look at today's text in three parts. First, a difficult situation. Second, depending on Jesus. And third, dangerous mission. A difficult situation, depending on Jesus, and dangerous mission. So first, a difficult situation. After giving their report to Jesus, he calls them and asks them to rest, to chill, to lay back. However, he calls three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to come with him. And they go up a mountain to pray. And in a very well-known story, they experience what we now know and call the transfiguration. They see Jesus in his glory with Moses and Elijah next to him. It was an incredible experience, unlike anything any of them had ever witnessed. And so once that's over, they come back down the mountain. And right away, they encounter this scene of confusion. Listen again. And when they, Jesus, Peter, John, and James, came to the disciples, so the other nine that were at the foot of the mountain, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. They greeted him and he asked them, what are you arguing about? Jesus, Peter, John, and James drop in on a heated argument between the nine disciples he had left behind and the religious scholars of the day, known as the scribes. So Jesus asks, what's going on? And as soon as Jesus asks this, a man comes forward, and this is what he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him mute. When it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams, he grinds his teeth, he gets rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast him out. 
but they couldn't do it. Can you imagine the disciples' faces? This father was desperate for his son. Without the ability to speak or to hear, the son couldn't connect with the outside world. His father couldn't know him. The boy would have been isolated, trapped in his body, and deprived of human connection. So the father had come to Jesus, hoping for a cure. But Jesus wasn't there. So he asked the disciples to do it. Not an unusual request, seeing as how the disciples had been given this power and had recently returned from a preaching tour where they had demonstrated that power. You can imagine the scene. Big mountain with a crowd at the bottom of it, hanging out with the disciples, waiting for Jesus to come back down. A father running through the crowd, holding his son in his arms, desperately asking to see Jesus. The disciples telling him that Jesus isn't available at the moment, but how can they help? The father, anguished and distressed, begging the disciples for a miracle. And so the disciples, maybe a bit smug or overconfident and self-assured, putting their hands over the boy and saying the words, evil spirit, come out of this boy now. Silence. Demon, we command you to come out of this boy at once. Nothing. The boy begins to foam at the mouth and grind his teeth. The disciples couldn't do it. They failed to perform a miracle in Christ's name. And their powerlessness causes a commotion. And an argument ensues with the religious scholars who were always ready to seize an opportunity to discredit Jesus. See? We told you you weren't disciples. This proves it. You can't cast out demons. I mean, if you're a disciple, how are you supposed to answer to that? We don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with the boy. Or maybe we're saying things wrong or doing things wrong. Or who knows? Maybe Jesus needs to be here and do it himself. Now, after hearing what it is that had just occurred and happened, Jesus cries out in exasperation. His words carry a biting rebuke. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Why did Jesus react in this way? Because even though the disciples had been given this authority, they had not yet learned how to depend and rely on God for power. The disciples had been engaged in mission for months. They had found great success as we've seen. But here, finally, they meet their match. An evil spirit that won't come out just because you tell it to. A situation that you can't apply a business model or a leadership strategy or a seminary class to. What was missing was taking up the cross daily. What was missing was loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What was missing was complete reliance and dependence. 
a difficult situation. Second, depending on Jesus. So Jesus asked for the boy to be brought to him. And what happens next would have been a horrible scene, straight out of a horror movie. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. This is a dramatic scene. One of the most dramatic of the New Testament. This was obviously a terrible spirit. Very strong, very malignant. And notice that this has been going on for a long time. This family has suffered for years. Can you imagine the father taking his son for a stroll and a walk around the lake only to see his son at some time jump into the water? Or maybe they're sitting around the fire in the evenings getting dinner ready when all of a sudden the boy would get up and jump into the fire. How many times had the father and the rest of the family had to pull the boy out of the water and out of the fire? So the father makes his request and his appeal. If you can do anything, please help us. You can grasp even through this ancient text the despair in his voice and request. And we can understand his somewhat hesitant request. The father had brought the son to his disciples only to be disappointed in their inability to cast out the demon. But Jesus repeats the Father's words right back to him. If I can do anything, all things are possible for one who believes. If I can, that's really not the right question. I can do all things. The real question is, do you believe that I can do everything? Because then the possibilities are endless. All things are possible. Now, Jesus wasn't telling him that he could get whatever he wanted as long as he thought positively. That's missing the point. Listen to the context again. The question is not if I can do anything. The question is, do you believe that that is true? In other words, the problem is not in what I can do. The problem is not whether or not I have the power. I know what I can do. Do you? Do you believe that I can bring hope where you see hopelessness? Do you believe that I can heal your son even when it's been going on for so many years? Do you believe I can work this miracle even when you saw my disciples fail? And the father immediately understood Jesus' meaning. From calling uh, Jesus teacher, he goes on to call him Lord. I believe Help my unbelief. He acknowledges his faith in Jesus' power while also how weak and exhausted it was. John Calvin comments on this passage and he says, These two statements may appear to contradict each other, but there is none of us that doesn't experience both of them in himself. Because our faith is never perfect, 
it follows that we are partly unbelievers. But Jesus was not requiring a huge stockpile of faith from this man. In fact, in another version of the story in the Gospel of Matthew, Luke also says, Jesus tells him that all he needs is faith, trust, dependence, the size of a mustard seed. Jesus simply wanted the man, the crowd, and the disciples to realize, indeed, how weak their faith might be but that it still required growing dependence and reliance. So Jesus talks to the spirit, commands it to leave and to never return. And the demon does come out, but it convulses the boy one last time. And the convulsion is so terrible, it leaves his exhausted body limp and so still that most people thought he was dead. But Jesus walks to the boy, takes him by the hand, and lifts him up to his feet. The cure was complete. It required depending on Jesus. Third, dangerous mission. So after all of this, Jesus leaves behind the excited crowd and goes home for privacy with his disciples. He knows he needs to discuss what had just happened with them and that they no doubt would have questions. After all, they must have been very perplexed. The disciples come to Jesus much like a player comes up to a coach and asks him a practical question. Jesus, we know you had given us this power because we've been doing it many times now. We've been to all these towns and in all of them, we cast out demons. So what's the deal? Why couldn't we do it here now? And Jesus gives them an answer. Like a coach training athletes. That what was missing was prayer. But what does that mean? Could it really be that simple? Well, yes and no. See, the act of prayer points to something much deeper. Jesus is pointing out their lack of reliance and dependence on him. And how did he know this? How could he prove it? They lacked prayer. See, prayer reveals faith. Prayer demonstrates complete complete reliance on God. Prayer is one expression, perhaps the ultimate expression, of our weakness and lack of solutions and our need for help. Now, according to our larger catechism, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. So prayer is not simply thinking about God or having concerns. Prayer is expressing need from the heart to God. B.M. Palmer says in Theology of Prayer that prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. In other words, those who do not sense their needs do not truly pray. Do you want a diagnostic test to see if you've really depended and relied on God? What's your prayer life like? And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples 
You know how I know you're not depending on God and therefore can't exercise this demon? You're not praying. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but I see many people hurting right now. They're looking for answers to big questions. Many are losing hope or have lost hope because of what they're seeing and experiencing. And it is our purpose and mission as ambassadors of Christ to point them toward healing and restoration. But instead, sadly, many evangelical American Christians for decades now have almost entirely depended on the latest marketing technique or leadership fad or church model to attract non-Christians and to grow their churches. We've analyzed strategies, searched for gurus, and led on autopilot. Now we as Presbyterians are as guilty as this as anyone, where we have commentaries on commentaries. Or as Americans, where we live in the land of celebrity pastors and celebrity churches that we want to copy. Where we want to fix everything, including our spiritual life, using best practices and tools. Where we pride ourselves with our independence, with being self-made anything, with having the most comprehensive strategies for every area of our lives. There's nothing wrong with these things inherently unless we're not bringing it all before Jesus and listening for his direction. See, what this text and story is reminding us is that our whole lives must be reoriented and refocused around Jesus. And this is especially true as we engage in dangerous mission. Notice that the context for this lesson and for this story are the disciples being given license by Jesus and permission to take risks and to experiment. Even when they don't have all the answers, even when they don't have it all together, heck, even when they haven't learned how to pray and have total reliance and dependence on God. Jesus releases them and empowers them. And as they go along, as they journey, as they stumble and fumble their way into following Jesus, they get lessons. Friends, we've been commissioned and sent as the people of God to bring healing and restoration to a broken world. But Satan would love nothing more than to divide us and to destroy us and our families. As we engage in mission, dependence on Jesus is of utmost importance. And how do we demonstrate that? Through prayer. So what will it take for us to depend more fully on Jesus? Well, it's going to mean unlearning unhealthy modes of thinking where we automatically try to search for the right book, the right strategy, the right model, the right leader. It means learning afresh how is it that a child depends on their parents. It means learning what is it, what if we didn't have all these tools at our disposal? What if all I had in this life was Jesus? 
would that be enough? It means constantly seeking the Spirit's direction, asking the question, Lord, what would you have us do here and now in this situation? What would you have me say to my neighbors so that I can point them to Jesus? Where would you have me serve in this city using the unique skills, gifts, and abilities that you've given me? Who would you have me reach out to that is in pain and hurt? Where are you calling me to give up time in order to be more present to you and to what you're doing in this city and in this world? It means that our friends might notice something different. That we don't depend firstly on the experts for solutions to our marriage, to our kids, to our work, to our addictions. Tools and strategies are amazing and they're helpful. In fact, for many of us, they are needed. But they're secondary. What is primary is that we depend on Jesus. So to help with this, ask yourself two questions. Maybe as a form of diagnostic. First, how are you depending on Jesus? Where have you stopped depending on him? And second, where are you boldly experimenting and taking risks? When is the last time you put yourself in a situation where depending on Jesus was the only possible answer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather as your people, not simply for our own sake, but in order to be reminded of the promises that you give us through your word and to be equipped to be scattered the rest of the week to be salt and light in a dark world. Lord Jesus, keep us humble, depending ever on you, your presence, your spirit for our work. Forgive us for the times where we sought to rely on our own strength and in our past successes, much as the disciples depended on their past success for new situations. Give us your power by your spirit to continue the journey ahead to which you have called us to. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.